0: ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down and the game is tied. Here's Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! With yes.
1: one
2: second. Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports.
0: Welcome everyone to a new episode of Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports' number one podcast for all things Knicks, Nets, and around the National Basketball Association. I'm Chris Percy Einan here virtually alongside Riley Lucas and Owen Kelty as we attempt, we do our best to take on all of the myriad drama that's taken place in the NBA over the past couple of days since the last episode. There's a lot of fantastic individual performances. Guys are dropping 60, 70, this that and the third, left and right. Um, a lot of interesting team performances to talk about, you know uh, the Nets went on quite the streak. The Knicks went on three different streaks that kind of <laughs> tell you what kind of team they are. Uh, We'll talk about their ups and downs. We'll talk about Brooklyn's latest brigade of wins, and we'll make sure to make our rounds around the NBA, around all the stars and everything going on, but not before I ask my wonderful co-hosts how they're doing. What's up, guys?
1: How are you? I mean, I'm doing great. Wasn't the best game last night, but I know you're happy, so... (laughs)
0: It happens. You know, 12 straight is very good. There's only 82 games in a season. Like, obviously, 12 straight is fantastic. So exactly. there's, nothing, not there's nothing to say about that.
1: I'm not complaining whatsoever, but I just knew you would be in a good mood entering this podcast today. After I got that text from you last night, very hype about the Knicks win. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Chris is going to be on cloud nine today.
2: Owen, what's going on? You know, it feels good to be back uh, watching the Knicks winning streak. It uh, makes the days better just much more enjoyable than watching them lose five straight heartbreaking games. And you know, last night was a close one, but they pulled through.
0: Yeah. I think you said it perfectly. It's not just that the Knicks were losing games. It's how they were losing those games. You talk about some of the crazy occurrences that have gone on recently. I think the bucks had a 99.9% win probability with 36 seconds left in their game and they lost. Um, You know, like the the Thunder were missing Shea Gilgis Alexander and had five players score 20 points and they beat the Boston Celtics who were fully healthy. Like this was not some like, oh, Tatum was out. No, no, no. Celtics were fully loaded and they straight up. They came out and they were like, yo, Shea was out. We celebrated. We thought that was over and we just didn't try. And they whooped us. So that happened. Um, the Warriors, missing Steph and Draymond, played the Pistons. That game went down to the wire. Clay Thompson hit what everyone thought was a game-winning three-pointer. Sadiq Bay, potentially on the trade market, coming up, hit the game-winning shot for Detroit to win it. We've had crazy games going on. Part of that craziness, Luka Doncic, 60 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists
1: Unreal. against
0: the New York Knicks. They had a nine point lead with 33 seconds left, the Knicks being they, and they lost that game in overtime. That is just, I feel like it's a perfect example of what the Knicks have been up to recently, just heartbreaking losses, but they've sandwiched those losses with some good basketball. You had eight straight wins before the five straight losses. Now you're at three straight wins. What's going on with the New York Knicks, Riley? What what's your diagnosis? I'm going to let both you guys play doctor here. What's the diagnosis with these knickerbockers?
1: I mean, I think the biggest issue is they cannot close a game. You kind of set it yourself easily. It's the way these games end make it a lot harder to watch, but it's the consistency too. I mean, we start with eight straight wins, five straight losses, three straight wins. There's just no keeping up with this team. The consistency lacks. And I really think Tom Thibodeau as a coach needs to change. I just think with how easily the league You know They're so quick to just get a coach out of there and get someone new in and try to test some things out. I think that's really crucial to help this Knicks team. And then also some trades. I mean, we have the NBA trade deadline coming up, and it's just now's the time to make some big changes that could really assist these teams and push them further.
0: Yeah, it feels like the Knicks honestly don't need to deal anyone that's in their rotation aside from maybe Isaiah Hartenstein, who hasn't been a fantastic fit, considering his more unique skill set and the Knicks preference to use rim running bigs to be rim running bigs. Um other than that it feels like everyone in the Knicks rotation fits in the Knicks rotation. It's the people outside of the rotation. Yeah, Evan Fournier making 18 million a year, Cam Reddish on the final year of his rookie contract, Derek Rose making about 12 million a year. None of them are playing a minute. So for for those guys to all still be on the team, I think you're bound to see New York make some kind of change. Owen, oh, would you think that New York should have an aggressive mindset at this upcoming trade deadline? And listen, we can talk about this early because the last two years of the Leon Rose regime, they've made their deals well before the deadline. Derek Rose, they acquired well before the deadline. You know, so um, do you think they should be aggressive? Should they go get a piece maybe like an OG Ananobi who's been rumored to be available from the Raptors for the right price, uh, like a John Collins, you know, or would you say that they should stay put would you say that they should sell off veterans? Should they look to sell high on Julius Randle? What should the trade philosophy be for the New York Knickerbockers here at this deadline?
2: I think you definitely got to look all, look to sell some of the older veteran players and see if you can maybe get some picks. But if I'm the Knicks, I would kind of just stay where it put, keep playing young talent, and not really get rid of anyone. I saw they weren't really looking to trade quickly anymore. I think that would have been like, Bad if you get rid of quickly. Like they have a lot of good questionable, jump
0: down. questionable source on that. But yeah, that that floated around. That yeah, they, uh, they're will they're they're willing to keep him, and he's been so essential to their winning efforts recently. Talk about on both ends of the court. I get it,
2: especially as a, a starter, he's looked a lot better than coming off the bench. More minutes, uh, playing pretty good. Like uh, he's been playing shooting guard, but he looks like a good point guard out there. And um, definitely, I think when the Knicks get Ovi and RJ back. We're going to see more, like, consistency with the team. Definitely, like, another 20-point score and OB, like, with the pace and helping out the bench unit, who's kind of been struggling lately. They had a rough game last night.
1: There's so many good key players on the Knicks, too. That's what makes it so mind-boggling to me. Like, you have Jalen Brunson, who's just – plays amazing when he's, like, on fire. He's an it's all-star. Just a bench. You just need to strengthen the bench. And I just don't like Tom Thibodeau as a coach for this team.
0: Yeah, the bench has looked really weak recently, especially because with both Barrett and Brunson facing injuries, you've seen Quickly go to the starting lineup. You look at that bench unit, Quickly's really the only semblance of a creator that that bench unit has. And now he's in the starting lineup. It's like when... Um, someone's out for the Warriors, so Pool goes to the starting lineup and then their bench unit looks like they've never played basketball before. It's like, well, they're all good players. They just don't have their usual scorer. And you've seen exactly. the Knicks bench unit really struggle with how quickly. That's a problem to me. If you want to be a good team, one player should not be able to dictate whether a lineup can play or not. The Knicks secondary lineup right now is close to unplayable unless you stagger in a starter. For example, Jalen Brunson, along with the hartenstein sims line up off the bench and then it works, but the bench unit itself you can't play. And it's because quickly's you know, with the starters now, everyone's going to be back soon. Once Barrett returns from the lacerated finger, you would think that the Knicks have something in mind to address this team's bench. Um, whether it's a, you know, a Malik Beasley from Minnesota, maybe you say to the Timberwolves, Hey, you guys have some stuff going on. What if you turn Malik Beasley into Evan Fournier? And give us, you know, a nobody and take Cam Reddish. What if that's the the kind of, the, you know, like there's something the Knicks can do to get guys who could be in the rotation, could be on the fringe of the rotation, regardless, are upgrading the talent on their team. I just don't think I agree with Owen, like they shouldn't be mortgaging their future to make these moves to their bench. Like we know the starting lineup is working, playing well together. It's more than the sum of its parts, and if you filter out lineups that have played less than 200 minutes this season, it's in the top five for net rating, and it's been in the top five since it started playing together and and met that minute qualification. This mm-hmm. Knicks starting lineup works; it plays a lot together, and it works. That bench that they need to address.
1: Now, if you're like the uh, the Knicks GM. And you could pick any coach in the league. Like, who do you think? Not talking about who you can get. Like, who ideally do you think would be the best fit for this team?
0: Um, I think with where the team is at right now, Thibodeau is a fine coach. I think he's a fine coach for what they're doing. I'm just also of the belief that they could afford to be more experimental. Like, they go up big against. Uh, they go up big against the Phoenix Suns. They're up 34 at halftime, right? Now, what what do teams do when they're up 34 at halftime? You've heard Coach Candace Green talk about it for women's basketball. They they go to the end of their bench. They give their end of bench guys run or gals run, and they try out new lineups that they haven't played before. They give things a shot to see if they'll work. The Knicks ran the same lineups they always run, essentially ran the basketball version of halfback dive every single play, and just let Julius Randle get to the middle of the court. Once he got to the middle of the court and there were 15 seconds left on the shot clock, he could work closer to the paint. Once there were eight seconds left on the shot clock, he would get a shot up. It was the same play every time. And it was basically, we're going to play super safe with this to hold on to this lead because we really don't want to lose this lead. I think Thibodeau could be the right coach for the Knicks if he were just more willing to be experimental. However, we know he's an old-fashioned coach. We know he's an old-style coach. Um, Johnny Bryant, the associate head coach of the New York Knicks, knows the program really well. He's been with the program since Thibodeau was hired. And he seems to be the the guy in waiting for the head coaching job if Thibodeau is not long for it. Uh, but I just don't think there's enough motivation in the building at Madison Square Garden right now to move on from yeah. Tom Thibodeau. I, I think that the team's playing well enough that they'll stick with him for now. They know once they're going to go get superstars or a superstar. And if they say, hey, time for a new coach, they're going to be like, okay. But right now, I don't think they see an urgency. Like, they see a need, and I know factually there's people within the Knicks front office that have wanted Thibodeau gone, but I don't think they see an urgent need to shake things up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of teams that have moved on from their coaches, though, the Nets have been playing great under Jacques Vaughn right across town, down in Brooklyn. 12 straight wins, obviously. The streak ended, but this team's legit. I want to get right to... The discourse about them, though, which to me is about who this team should target at the trade deadline, because when you're all in, when you are going to contend, you have to be willing to sacrifice assets to improve midseason. They did this for James Harden. It didn't work. Time to try again. Time to find something that works, right? So basically, we I've said all season that they need to make a trade. So I'm not going to have conversation with you guys about whether or not they should make a trade. Because I think even Riley, wh- who, you know, watches the Nets a lot more than me, would be like, this team could benefit from at least a small shakeup in its roster construction. 100%. Maybe certain things haven't played out exactly as planned uh, with, like, Ben Simmons' offensive role. And exactly. Things like that. So, I, I want to ask you guys, who should the Brooklyn Nets target at the trade deadline? I have two names. I have two names, but one of them is, like, we really...
1: I need to hear if they're
0: the same <laughs> as mine. One of them is really <laughs> important. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna give my first name and maybe you guys can react, give a different name instead. But I've said all season, preseason with Julia Moss, early season with with Riley. I've always said the Nets cannot defend the perimeter. If an opposing team has a skilled star guard, they're gonna torch the Nets. Anthony Simons, an example of someone that will always torch the Nets. Who can fix this? Well, someone who's known, who has a penchant for locking down the perimeter. Now, the Chicago Bulls last season built their entire defense off of locking down the perimeter. They don't have a rim protector. Vucevic doesn't do that. What they had was lockdown perimeter defense. Lonzo Ball plays about half of the games in his career. I did not like that signing for Chicago, given the money that they gave him if they were going to be contending. If they were going to be rebuilding, I like the signing to take a bet on him. It hasn't worked out, but Alex Caruso is on a deal. You
1: going to say that, that is
0: fantastic value. Mm-hmm. He can lock down the perimeter. He can hit his open threes and he can pass the ball intelligently. He's not a liability. If he's got the rock in his hands and he's a big plus on the defensive end of the court. Now, Patty Mills, you know, God bless his soul. I think in 2023 society has progressed past the need for Patty Mills playoff minutes. Like I think, I think that's in the past. Um, go get Alex Caruso if you're the Brooklyn Nets. That's my take. What do you guys
1: think? I mean, I like it. I mean, obviously, there's I have more people in mind I would probably rather go for, it, but I that would be in my top three ideal trades, Alex Caruso. I think that's really beneficial. I mean, any guard or wing who can challenge scores at the point of attack is what the Nets really do need, and I just think Alex Caruso would be great for that role. But then again, I also think, you know, here we have the Nets and like one of their biggest issues for this team is size. I mean, re- size, rebounding, just a big man on the court, I think would be beneficial for the Nets. You have the Simmons and Nick Nick Claxton matchup. I mean, it's working better, but it's still a little iffy when the game does slow down. And then, you know, Dayron Sharp, he's just not even ready for minutes. So it's just that's just a matter of fact. But I just think another good uh, trade would be for a really good center for this Nets team. That's just, size is a huge issue, rebounding, and I think this is, I don't know how you feel about this one, but I thought Jakob Purtle would be a very good trade for this Love team. Love that. You like that? Okay, good. We never agree. So this is awesome. I mean, but you just got to think seven foot one, 245 pounds. He's averaging 12.1 points a game, 9.3 rebounds, 2.9 assists. I mean, he just operates well without the ball on offense. And I just think him as an asset for this team would just take them to that next step that they really need to seal a deal.
0: Owen, oh, what do you think? Do either one of those stand out to you as a move that, the Nets should look into. Do you have other ideas? You think there's something else they need to address? I have a different. I have a different white big
2: man for them to target. But what what do you got? I was thinking Yaka Proto Also, I don't really know if they have the assets for it. But a guy like Miles Turner, who if he's still available, could really help them out with more scoring and definitely uh, rebounding and rim protection. They they need a lot of that help. And but. I, I was also thinking about Jakob Proto as like a Spurs big man because they could be looking to tank this season and looking for a lot of help over there or looking to get rid of guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the big man I had in mind was Kelly Olenek, Um I
1: like that too. Because like
0: he's that. switchable. He can space the floor. He can legit shoot. Um, and he's really good defensively. So, you you know, I, I think like if he, the Nets got a deadline haul of Caruso and Olynyk. Like I know on paper, that's kind of of more of a meme than anything else. Mm -hmm. But I think they'd come out of that a legitimately better basketball team. You have players like Warren, Yuta Watanabe, Royce O'Neal. Like these guys are all actually good, specifically O'Neal and Warren. Um, I actually want, if the Nets go to make upgrades, I want the Knicks to call about TJ Warren. He would be great in that second unit that really needs offense. Mm -hmm. Um, But you look at, if the Knicks target TJ Warren this off season, I'm saying, I told you so. Uh, But basically (laughs) you look at what the nets need. They need defense. They need switchable players. They need guys who can help fill the cracks that, you know, non-defenders like Kyrie leave. And you live with those every day because Kyrie has been otherworldly offensively. He's been so good this season. Right. But, you do have to, if you want to contend, address the the faults in the program as well. I I think defense is the way to go. So I like Pirtle. I think he would be the most costly out of any of these guys be brought up. Uh, My guys were Caruso and Olenek. And and I know um, this is a funny group of players, but uh, I just think that this is a, you know, that's what they've got to go after. If they could they could get Kevin Durant to get Cam Reddish to lock the hell in. That wouldn't be a bad acquisition for them either. But I'm not sure if you're a contending team that you want to take a bet on a guy who might be a good player. You probably exactly. just want a good player. Let's keep it moving because speaking of good players, uh, there's someone who's been historically good <laughs> recently. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 50 years ago put up 203 points. 90 rebounds, 39 assists, 94 rebounds, rather, and 39 assists, 203 points, 94 rebounds and 39 assists over a five game stretch last done 50 years ago by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar until this past week when Giannis Antetokounmpo heard all the talk about the Brooklyn Nets, all the talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. All the talk about the Phoenix Suns, about the Boston Celtics, about the Philadelphia 76ers. He said, hold on. We are still a contender, too. Don't forget about us and don't forget about me because I have an MVP case that's legit. And so Giannis, who's always going to be in the discussion for MVP, because to me personally, he's the number one player on the planet in the sport of basketball right now. And so when that's the case, you're probably at least going to be in the discussion for most valuable player. Um, I don't, I wouldn't give the award to him as of now, if the season ended today, I, I said last week, Jason Tatum would be my pick, but Still? It's, it's been rough for the Celtics recently. <laughs> Jokic, Jokic that, that number two Jokic is coming in hot, um, <laughs> but you look at the bucks, I, I'm going to keep it, you know, short and sweet with my question here. We'll go to Owen first this time. Are they good enough? To win it all?
2: I mean, they, they have the talent to do it, but like even last year in the playoffs, like once you start doubling Giannis, they need the guys around him to hit their shots. And first, the Celtics, and then the role players weren't hitting their shots Grayson Allen, like Pat Connington. And if Chris Middleton's healthy, definitely our contender, but it's going to be more on the role players, I think, than the stars for them. Drew Holiday's been really good on
0: offense this year. He's probably an all star over Chris Middleton this season. And just because Middleton's missed a bunch of games, if you had to give the Bucks a third all-star, I would not. I would choose Julius Randle, for example, over this player, because I think that's reasonable. But Brooke Lopez doesn't not deserve to be an all-star. He just shouldn't make the game because other players are more deserving, but he deserves to be an all-star. That guy is hooped this season. And, and, and I got to say that drop coverage bigs are dying in the sense that you look at when Yama, Chet Holmgren, Bull, bull! You look at these guys, right, with these uh, insane measurables and insane skill sets. And you think, oh, you know, the Obi Toppins, the Mitchell Robinsons, the Jared Allens of the world, these guys that, dr- that do, you know, not great in drop coverage, um, they might go extinct, you know, as an archetype of player. But uh, Brooke Lopez just is like totally turning that on its head because he's totally a drop coverage big. Like, that's his thing. But he can shoot, too. And he's staying, like, really, really afloat in terms of career trajectory. His deal is a steal as of right now. Riley, what do you think of the Bucs? Can can they beat Brooklyn? Can they beat Boston? Can they beat Golden State? Can they beat Denver? Can they beat Phoenix?
1: I mean, the thing about the Bucs is that Giannis, you can just never bet against Giannis. I feel like he's just such a humble, quiet dude. And he's so lays low that we almost forget about how amazing of a player he is. But, I mean, just look, the Wizards, 55 points, he had 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Versus Timberwolves, 43 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists. I think they're a huge contender, and I think that we all need to worry about the Bucs because I really do think that Giannis and that whole team in general can make it to the finals and potentially win the whole thing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I think the Bucs are still my favorite to come out of the East. I just love their build. But the Celtics are right there with them. Like they're They're right there. The Celtics are really good. Um, there's so they, much talent
1: in the league right they now. They added it's Malcolm so Brogdon
0: from last season. Like they're yeah, they're really good. It's there's a lot of parody right now. It's cool. It's fun to watch as, as a fan of the league. Um, we we've been doing the Eastern Conference today. So we'll make this episode an Eastern Conference midseason check-in around the local teams and you know the 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 top of the top teams. Um, there's two teams left to talk about and I'll throw them both out there but we don't have to have a super short discussion like we can talk about one of them really if we want to do it there's the Philadelphia 76ers and there's the Cleveland Cavaliers for both of these teams because James Harden and Joel Embiid come with injury risk Tyrese Maxey just came back from injury doc rivers thinking of benching him right like for a while um the Cleveland Cavaliers 70 points from Donovan Mitchell this week in overtime Like, that wasn't, it wasn't some game against the Chicago Bulls. They needed, all right, how about this? Donovan Mitchell's 71-point game was a five-star performance, right? It was fantastic and historically good. But look at it the other way. The Cleveland Cavaliers, who are supposed to be one of the best teams in the East, needed to go to overtime and to get 71 points from Donovan Mitchell to beat the Chicago Bulls. They weren't playing, you know, some sort of four-star or five-star NBA team. This is a team where like the consensus is that their coach is bottom 10 in the league and that they need to blow up their core because it's not going to work. So if you need a 70 bomb and overtime to narrowly defeat that kind of team, I feel like it says a little something about your status, you know? Yeah, games are close in the NBA. And nowadays, this, that, and the third. But uh, listen, I, I don't, by the Cavaliers as real contenders this year. I think they're going to make noise in the playoffs as in like maybe make the second round. I mm-hmm. also think if seeding works out and they get a team in the first round that's legit good, they might be a first round go. And and they could also make it to the Eastern Conference Finals And, and because remember the Atlanta Hawks did a couple of years back. They had the New York Knicks in the first round and then the, the Sixers in the second round, Sixers totally fell apart. Knicks totally fell apart. Hawks made it right to the Eastern Conference Finals played a serious team and got smacked out of the playoffs. Um, But you look at this team now and you think, oh, well, you know, Cleveland could maybe make it, maybe not, but I don't trust them in any real, real, you know, conference finals or finals. Like you just, who's their wing talent? It's Karis Levert. Oh
1: yeah. I agree.
0: Like that's not, you know, he, Karis Levert is like the Severino of the NBA in that like, Everyone says he's, like, super young and going to be a superstar, but he's actually, like, 28 years old. <laughs> like, like it's just, like, I feel like these guys are future superstars for the last decade.
1: Um, exactly. Not, I it's mean, time, it's
0: time for reality to hit.
1: At the end of the day, to me, how I view the Cleveland Cavaliers is it's the Donovan Mitchell show. I mean, he really carries that team. Yes, do they have a, a couple good players who just help him out here and there? Yes. Are they, what are they, like, ranked fourth in the East right now? I mean, they're holding their own pretty well. But yeah, they're winning think- games. It's just not going to carry them all the way. I just think that it's just they're doing better than they have in the past. Obviously, we could say that Donna Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell was 100% the best uh, trade that came out of the last trade deadline. Uh, that 71-point game was incredible. It's fun to watch them play. They're going to make noise in the playoffs, like you said, but I wouldn't worry too much about the Cavs.
0: Owen, what, are, are, are you buying the Cavs as a contender or a pretender? Riley seems to agree with me that this season, Next year, I think they'll be a contender. This season,
2: I've got them as a pretender. What about you, man? I've noted a pretender too, but like not cuz of like the roster, but you just look at the top teams in the East. Like I don't I don't think they're better than the Celtics, Bucks or Nets. Like I don't see them being able to beat them in a 7-game series. Like their roster is very talented, but it's also still a very young roster with Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. Still like really young players, so in the next few years, I think the Cavs can really like make noise in the East, but this year I, I don't really think they can beat a team like the Nets Bucks or Celtics.
0: Yeah, I, I think being able to contend in the first year after making a deal as large as they did for Mitchell is important. And I knew the Knicks would not be able to do that, which is why I was opposed to them surrendering that many assets for Donovan Mitchell. And it's really easy when he scores 71 points in a game to be like, ha, the Knicks didn't trade for him. But would you guys be confident in a Knicks team that was locked for the next four years with no ability to upgrade in season into Brunson, Mitchell, Randall? That's it. Like,
1: yeah, I know, I, I know, I joke with you all the time about the Donovan Mitchell thing. I always bust your balls with that. But at the end of the day, I think the Knicks to be the top spot of the East, they have a lot more to do than just get. Yeah, done. they have to have, they have a way, Yeah,
0: you know, they weren't a Mitchell away, and so it was the right to be able to go to the table. To have the other side know you're desperate for a star, particularly that star, because he's from close to New York City and grew up a Nick fan and this, that, and the third. I think the Nick's front office deserves credit for being able to walk away from that situation without doing what the last literally five straight Nick front offices would have done, which is
1: uh-huh.
0: give in to the last minute price raise. You know, they, they agreed to the deal. It was done at this price, and then when it was time to send the deal in, it was like, "Oh, also throw this first round pick and this player in." And the last five Nick front offices, last six would have would have said, "Really? All right. Well, what about we'll throw either the player or the pick in?" And they already Especially, lost because they're already giving up more than they agreed to. This yeah, Nick front I mean, office was offended. They were offended by that, and they walked away. They I handled it well.
1: And I mean, especially, like, especially with all the noise, too, once that there was a rumor that they were potentially picking up Donovan Mitchell, Twitter went crazy. Donovan so many Mitchell people,
0: told his personal friends that he was getting traded to the Knicks.
1: I mean, so many people wanted to see that. I mean, there was so much hype behind it. And when they did not go forward with that pick or that trade, it just was a matter of everyone complaining, making jokes about the Knicks. But at the end of the day, I think we could look at the situation now and see that they did go ahead and make the right decision. Yeah,
0: you, you look at the Knicks, you look at the Bulls. I think they're a perfect yin and yang. The Bulls invested several picks and hundreds of millions of dollars into this core, and they're a mediocre team that needs to now tear it down. The Knicks just invested the hundreds of millions of dollars. They kept all of their draft picks, all of their future cap flexibility, and they're better than the Bulls. So now they have the future flexibility to go make these upgrades, probably in the 2024 offseason is when we'll see it. And, and talk about, oh, well, uh, how did this Knicks team get these two stars and still keep Jalen Brunson? It's like because they had R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Emmanuel, Quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, Jericho Sims, and eight first-round picks that didn't belong to them. Like mm-hmm. it should make sense how they were able to parlay that into good players. It's just because it hasn't happened in the snap of a finger, a lot of the New York fan base is understandably frustrated because the, the message is just patience, patience, patience. Patience gets tiring to give away like that, you know, but you know, I think patience paid off for the Philadelphia 76ers trusting the process now in the playoff hunt, as we were talking about, definitely going to make it, but in the hunt for uh, a championship, final question of the show, contender or pretender for Philly. What do you guys think?
1: I think contender. I do. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I just think that a Philly always does impress me. And I think that Philly has a good team, especially now with Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench. I mean, he has been missing well over a month, so we'll see how that goes. But I don't think we should count out Philly just yet.
2: Owen, what do you think? I'm putting them as a contender also. You can never, like, Joel Embiid's up there with all those guys putting up 50-point performances. We've seen what James Harden can do. We haven't seen it with Philly, but... You never know what he's going to be able to do in the, in the playoffs and Max, he's a very good, talented young player. So I think they could do something in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. I think when you have someone as good as Joel Embiid, you're primed to at least win a round, do something, make some sort of noise because he's an otherworldly talent. As I said, you know, about a lot of the guys in the league right now are just playing out of this world. Luka, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. LeBron putting up 30, a game recently, Kevin Durant, having a field goal percentage, like a center when he takes all his shots from the perimeter is freaky. Uh, And Steph Curry is out right now. He's not even playing NBA is only getting better. We're going to have you and keep you covered right here on Pick and Pod. You know it's WFUV's podcast for all things NBA. It's a production of WFUV Sports, which is directed by Bobby Chafferdini. Make sure you stay tuned to Pick and Pod on all our social channels for NBA coverage throughout the year.